Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 underway. The college football kickoff week has arrived. We've got you covered all week long from 6th and Peabody with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. React to college football over the weekend. NFL cuts are being made. NFL headlines galore. A lot to hit on a beautiful Monday in Nashville. Hope it's the same way for you guys wherever you may be watching or listening. And football is back, baby. Here we go. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Just in time for a college football week to arrive. Nebraska's football season's already over before it even started after week zero. In Dublin, Ireland, boys, I'm excited to be here and ready to go for a big week. That uh, that Saturday's interesting construct. Hutton had it too, where you go into a six o'clock preseason game, but you've got the bulk of the day free. Uh, I got up, I had a workout, uh, went out for a workout, came back, kind of in a tough place with food. <clears throat> Nothing in the house. I was fired up about. I ordered DoorDash, a pricey lunch, brisket. Fired up for the brisket, dozed off while waiting for the brisket, <laughs> get a message that the brisket is on my front porch, go out, very eager for this meal, which is a key cog in my day, a pivot, a pivot point, if you will. Go outside. My dog, my older dog, oh. Finley, who never touches human food, has the bag in the middle of the yard and has eaten all of the brisket wow. and most of the French fries. My $30 lunch in his belly. So that's bad enough. Then I get home from the Titans game, watching the Vanderbilt game in bed. Finley sleeps in our bedroom, <laughs> has terrible gas from the brisket. But say, is he, so is it's, he a, okay? it's a double <laughs> whammy. A double whammy. I, I'm now smelling the food that I did not glad, get to enjoy. I'm glad the story ended there. But not in an enjoyable way. Yeah, no, no, yeah, right. uh, no nothing further. Where was really the fam to help out the with the, the door being doorbell being rung to go get it uh i have a no ring thing set just leave it on the on the front porch it's my policy that's tough tough saturday uh not as bad as it was for scott frost no on saturday and th this is the this is the challenge of, of overcoming the storm after a terrible decision which i'm gonna get to but all of america was watching this game if you're interested in college football at least based on the twitter timeline Instagram posts, reels, everyone's hashtag NEB, hashtag Nebraska, hashtag Huskers, and laughing at Scott Frost being the GOAT yet again, and stats galore about how 5-21 uh, and 21 in one-score games, how he's won uh, only half as much as he's lost, comparing him to Pelini. And meanwhile, if this was your average college football Saturday, we get it, but not to the, not to the extent that we saw on Saturday from Dublin, live on Fox. And when he went for the onside kick up 11, um, uh, the stats started pouring in. That only happened twice last year where a team was up by 
I think the stat is two scores, not necessarily two uh, possessions. Um, but yeah, a team's up by you know at least two field goals, and they went for an onside kick. It only happened twice. He did it, and I have no idea just, why he thought. If you have momentum, just kick off and keep momentum. He's just trying too hard. It was a back-and-forth game, but they were dictating, right? Northwestern had to answer all the time. So if you're putting Northwestern in a position where Northwestern perpetually has to answer, and now you're up two scores, let them continue to have to answer. You're, you're dictating the game, and now you're trying too hard. Chad, the only way you give up momentum is by allowing Northwestern to recover an onside kick. It's the perfect storm of failure <laughs> because this was a week zero game. You're right. It was the spotlight game. It was the one, only one everyone was going to watch on Saturday because every other game, let's face matchup. it, was miserable. Well, and this Throughout was on the rest of the day. Big Fox. This was a good game. Right. Big it Fox. It was a very good game. It's in Dublin, Ireland. It's the Scott Frost referendum tour, as I've called it. Yep. It is tour stop number one of that referendum tour in Dublin, Ireland. And he fails miserably with that onside kick. There's no analytical approach that tells you to onside kick it against Northwestern up 28-17 at that point in the game in the second half. There is a video of a rant of a Nebraska fan up right now at outkick.com that should be hung in the Louvre because it is a masterpiece. It is six and a half (laughs) minutes of a guy who starts by saying, I'm doing this rant in the bathroom because that's where bleep belongs. And that's exactly what this program is under Scott Frost, and, and goes about it. So I'm going to steal one of his lines in this. You allowed a team that wins by rock fight to give them a big stone, basically, to throw in this game. You don't give Northwestern a good, a good field position chance. Let them continue to try to rock fight the ball all yes. the way down the field. You're up two scores, and you win the war of attrition that way against a, a, a Nebraska, or, excuse me, a Northwestern team that does not have a running option at quarterback, but still was able to rush for 214 yards in this game. That's concerning. Nebraska gives up 528 yards offensively. Their offense isn't the problem. I think Casey Thompson is going to be fine. Yes, he threw some missiles off shoulder pads, a little bit behind guys in this game. One that was a big interception. Opening drive was great. I think Mark Whipple is going to get better and better. He wasn't the problem, even though Scott Frost wants you to believe his offensive coaching staff is the problem. They're not. It is Scott Frost. It is one of the more remarkable sports stories to watch favorite son Scott Frost go home after winning National Coach of the Year and set his program ablaze. This is worse than Mike Riley. This is worse than Bo Pelini was Tom Osborne. Compared to, to Scott Frost. This is abysmal. And I, I've i never seen anything like it with their ineptitude in one-score games. It is unbelievable. They split last year points for, points against the Big Ten, and they went 1-8. and eight. They tied in points and found a way to go 1-8, and eight, being dead even and everything else. Amazing. And the season starts exactly the same. Good job by Northwestern. I mean, they they stuck in Great there and found a, found a way to go go win it, take advantage of a big judgment mistake, and they got good quarterback play from I a just, guy that people didn't know was was going to be the guy, and they go home with the with the significant win. It just it made no sense for a guy with his job on the line. You know, the tail's already between the legs because he was forced to fire people that had been very loyal to him. 
And they, they've made a change at quarterback, so you can't blame Adrian Martinez anymore for, for showing up small in big moments. And to be up 11 points in the third quarter, 28-17, and to be Scott Frost and say, you know what? We've got the momentum right now. We're going to go for an onside kick. When at best, like you're chancing it to where on the opposite sideline, Fitzgerald's got to be saying, man, I really hope they make a terrible decision and either turn it over or you know go for an onside kick so we have a 50-50 shot at getting this thing. And sure enough, they get it, go down, score, and then they score 14 unanswered and win the game. You mentioned uh, Bo Pelini. I, I could not believe this number. Yeah, this is crazy. After Saturday's loss, Scott Frost is now 15-30 and 30 at Nebraska. Bo Pelini was fired after going 67-27 and 27 as head coach at Nebraska. If Frost wins his next 50 games in a row... He would still have a a worse record than Bo Pelini did at Nebraska. Percentage wise, yeah, sixty-seven yes. and twenty-seven. He's fifteen and thirty. That would put him at that sixty-five. And he is into year five now at, at Nebraska. But here's, here's his issue: like all eyes are on him now. Everything's he's fired every other excuse. So you, it, it's now on him. And while. I mean, this is a true dilemma for Nebraska fans, Chad. Because you, I, I know oh, it's no dilemma anymore. Well, but they're it, out. But he's their guy. Like he is the, like you said, the favored son. And for him to fail this, this bad, like, it, yeah. The, look, he's. If you sever ties, how does it sever the relationship with Scott Frost and Nebraska? I think well, he's, he's on his way out. But here's, you're right in this. The, the Nebraska fan thinking now is. Boy, we can't continue on this path. We got to get rid of Scott Frost. But who are we going to hire? Who's good that will take this job? Who's going to really turn around? The, if it, if Scott Frost can't do it, and you know Mike Riley couldn't do it after Bo Pelini, Bo Pelini got fired because he started to lose a little bit at the end, but because he was such a hothead. Yeah, you know because he was seen cursing at kids' sporting events and different things like this around Lincoln that they didn't like because they were still in awe of Tom Osborne. Well, Bo Pelini won. You just heard the stats, 67-27 and in his time there. He won at Nebraska. So where do you go next? It's got to be better than this. I'm not someone who thinks this is just so doom and gloom that you can't find a good coach to come in and make Nebraska competitive again in the Big Ten and competitive in the Big Ten West because – Scott Frost cannot win close games. But here's what's crazy about their schedule. Even with that loss, now granted, they lost as a two-touchdown favorite against Northwestern. So there's nothing that's a given. But they play North Dakota. They play Georgia Southern. They should be 2-1 and one after the next two weeks. They get Oklahoma at home. Probably going to lose that game. But keep in mind, with Adrian Martinez, with Scott Frost calling the offense a year ago, they nearly upset Oklahoma on the road. So that could be a close game at home. They get a bye week. Then they get the two of the worst teams in the Big Ten, Indiana at Rutgers in back-to-back weeks. Then they go to Purdue, another bye week. They get Illinois at home, another one of the worst teams in the Big Ten. They could have five wins you know, pretty quickly here on the schedule and be looking at a possible bowl game, but that's where it gets difficult. After Illinois, guys, they go Minnesota at Michigan, Wisconsin at Iowa to close out the season. So they're not going to win in November if I'm picking games right now. But they've got some really winnable games coming up. But the key number is 15 15 to 7.5. That's where the buyout goes, Paul, on October 1st. 
currently it's fifteen million. It goes down to seven point five million. That's the yeah, quite a discount. On October first. So here's that's the, when they're going to make the move. But the, I, and I, I, when I saw the final score, because I was at Nissan Stadium by the time the game went final, um, I thought to myself, this this is going to be a firestorm. And should I overreact to this one loss in week zero, right? Thinking there's still there's still time. But then you look when you realize that they beat Northwestern last year. Fifty six to seven. Fifty six to seven. And this just feels like more than one loss, right? You you've made all these changes. He conceded to all these changes by the university. He's no longer calling plays, but yet he calls for the play that allows Northwestern to get back in and win the game. Yeah, interrupted. And, and it felt like more than one loss for Scott Frost in a year where it, it is do or die, put up or shut up time. And it may be just a month of put up or shut up time based on the buyout and when it drops in October. It's nuts. I mean, it is, it is nuts to look at their record Imagine in these close games. Back. Well, and we talked about this last week. What if Adrian Martinez is suddenly clutch at K State in Kansas yeah, State? Yeah, yeah. That's a team that could compete right. for the Big Twelve, and they're picked right in the middle of the conference, fifth. But I, they could get hot and contend in that conference. And what if Adrian Martinez is a big part of that? That's even more of a dagger against Scott Frost if that in fact happens. I, I was I was blown away by that. But the most troubling thing, it's not offense. I think they're going to be okay offensively. And I like Casey Thompson, what he brought to the table. But And then Mark Whipple's a great offensive coordinator, a great hire, even though, again, Scott Frost wants to criticize them and say they're going to they're gonna have to learn that in this league you've got to be more creative, whatever. Offensively, I thought they were fine. That defense, giving up that many yards to Northwestern, who was beyond pedestrian a year ago, with Ryan Holinsky at quarterback, that is no good. That is not a good situation for that defense. Helensky threw for 314 yards on that defense. I mean. As for hiring, I mean, isn't it, don't you just go hire the next young, hot coach who sells you yeah, on but it's an a, ability to – It's a lot to, like uh, – Chad, correct me if I'm wrong, though. It's a lot like Arkansas where you have to – you're hiring a guy that fits the brand, right? It's not – a young guy. Who That's what they've the been brand. searching for. And then Scott Frost was available after Coach of the Year honors. And you're like, here. It was a completely this, sensible This guy hire. is Nebraska. I, I, wouldn't, um, I don't bemoan the hire. No. I mean, it was a home run. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was at the time. Florida was going after Scott Frost. Yeah. And they ended up hiring Dan Mullen because Scott Frost turned them down. Because he turned them down to go to Nebraska. I mean, Scott Frost. Think about Scott Frost looking around thinking, I left UCF after being coach of the year and going undefeated. Josh Heupel came to UCF and parlayed that to Tennessee. Then UCF hires Gus Malzahn, who's probably going to parlay that to go somewhere else again. Uh, he, he, Oddly enough, he made the wrong decision going to Nebraska, back to his alma mater. Where do you go next? The problem is that next young, hot coach – there's a number of those guys around the country. I, I can't think of one that's the right geographic, cultural fit in Nebraska. An example, I think Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina is going to be terrific. And he runs sort of a shotgun, triple option, power game that's very different. The offense that he runs, I think that could work at Nebraska. Would Jamie Chadwell work at Nebraska? I don't know. You're taking a chance, right, on someone that – well, doesn't really have ties to that region. Yeah, but see, but there you just you I think you hit the crux of the issue. Scott Frost chose Nebraska over Florida. 
Is Jamie Chadwell choosing Nebraska over any SEC opening? No. See, the, so that, that's why you've got to go find the guy that is perfect for Nebraska football, right? Like it, the Sam Pittman connection in Arkansas, where it just works. It, it didn't work anywhere else. It just works for him at Arkansas, uh, where he's embedded now, and he wrote in his own new contract in the extension that he wanted a non-compete for SEC schools because he doesn't want to go anywhere. You've got to find the right fit, not just the up-and-coming coach well, that's and they, it, bouncing it, around. It's also about timing and about opportunity. So they may benefit from the fact that I only see one real hot seat in the SEC right now, and that's Auburn. So if Auburn doesn't hire Jamie Chadwell, he may be available to Nebraska. And he's not turning down Nebraska. But there's if all, Nebraska comes calling to Coastal Carolina, Jamie Chadwell's taking the Nebraska There's job. always a Dan Mullen event, though. Where well, Dan Mullen could be available. Well, but but there's a Dan right? Mullen example in the SEC that's happening right now that we're not aware of that we'll know by November, where there will be a surprise opening according to how we're previewing the season right now. By, by November, maybe it's not so surprising that they fire a guy at the end of December. But, I mean, we, we, I wouldn't have predicted that Dan Mullen was getting, uh, getting the boot early at the beginning of Florida's year last year. There's always one guy. Yeah, uh, there's going to be a surprise. Difficult. Yeah, or someone that just leaves. You know, someone's going to leave that. unexpectedly that we're not thinking yeah, about. So no, no one thought Notre Dame was going to be open after this past year. And Brian Kelly bolts for for uh, LSU. No one thought Oklahoma was going to be open. And Lincoln Riley bolts for USC. So there's going to be a domino effect with someone leaving a school that we're not expecting also. Um, coming up, we'll get into uh, Vanderbilt and their blowout win over the weekend. A&M has named their starting quarterback. But before we go to the break, uh, Brian Robinson Rookie running back who won the job with the Washington Commanders shot this weekend in an attempted robbery and carjacking, I believe by two minors, um, is, is what the Washington Post reported. And uh, thank goodness he's, he's doing well. Uh, he could be released from the hospital today if he hasn't been released already. Uh, Ron Rivera said, though, that it'll be a matter of time before he's back out there. Declined, of course, to, to give a timeline on this. But um, he also, the Washington Post reported that he was able to wrestle a firearm away from the two, uh, the two men attempting to rob him Sunday. And then the other suspect shot him twice. That according to D.C. police. Just an awful story. Yeah. When I saw this, it, you didn't know that, I didn't know the details of it, just the headline that he had been shot twice. And I didn't know, you know, what that meant uh, in terms of, for his uh, well-being, right? Yeah. Crazy. Luckily, both uh, lower body injuries, the gunshots, yeah. and he's going to make a full recovery is, is what's expected. And he, he had worked but his terrible way. Story. I mean, he's a great story, though, at Alabama, where he waited five years to get his opportunity to the backfield, you know, and finally did it. Ends up being a, a draft pick in Washington um, and has a great camp, unseats, uh, those in front of him is is named the starting running back behind Wentz, and right after the the preseason uh, wraps up, you get this news. So they've got J.D. McKissick there, who is more of like a third down specialist, and Gibson, and Gibson, who they've already tabbed as their kick returner number one guy. Like they've they've found a role for him because Robinson was so good. Um, so here's hoping that his recovery can go well and he doesn't miss. You know the season. It sounds like just preliminarily that uh, they're optimistic that he's going to play this season, which is remarkable considering the circumstances. 
And so we'll wait to hear uh, more on how seriously he's injured and what kind of rehab timetable there'll be for him to return to work. More reaction from... By the way, this is at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. So 6 o'clock Eastern, I think. So broad daylight, walking to his car. This this Apparently two underage men uh, approached him uh, and tried to carjack him. That's the story. That's the only details I've seen to to this point. Uh, Coming up, more reaction from Lincoln, Nebraska. Vanderbilt gets back on track with a big win. A&M names their starter. We'll tell you Michigan's plan at quarterback or quarterbacks. And the best thing from the college football weekend. Next to Now Kick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Oh, and an onside kick. Northwestern is on it. At the 45, Scott Frost going for the mortal blow in this game, and now Northwestern has a short field. I don't know about that. Fox on the call there in Dublin where uh, Scott Frost goes for the onside kick and Northwestern recovers. They go on to win the game in week zero. Chad, your your initial reaction in uh, in your household when that happened? What a great response from Brock Heward, yeah. first and foremost, friend friend of the show, Brock Heward. Just uh, like when everybody that went at down. home. So uh, I had a unique perspective on this because I coached my daughter's softball game right in the middle of the game. So I had to leave early second quarter. My wife Angie, big Nebraska fan, stayed back, watched until halftime. So she gets there right before the first pitch and says, "They're down four. I said, "What?" Because I think they were up 10 or something at the time. She said, Nebraska's down four at half. I said, okay, whatever. <laughs> so game ends. I get to my car, take my phone out, and immediately I just glance at my text without even responding. And I have like seven in a row. And the, the tone of the text was something like this. Oh, Nebraska. Oh, how are things in your house? Oh, goodness. Scott, Scott Frost. So I'm thinking, this is bad. I've not checked the score or anything else, but I didn't respond to anyone. I'm just thinking, I haven't seen what happened, but this is going to be bad. So we went home. But there's been a meltdown. You know Started that. the game in the second half, and I'm watching from that perspective. You taped, you taped. T- Yeah, recorded. Just paused it, got back in. Angie's going to watch the whole second half. So we start watching together. I'm not tipping her off to anything, just watching it like I know nothing. But the whole time I'm watching it from the perspective of someone that knows something bad is disaster is on the way. But I keep watching. I'm okay. What is it? Well, no, they go down and score. Uh, they score again, right? It's it, they're looking good. What could it be? What what could go on? Of 17, 14 at halftime, they score two touchdowns to open the second half, and then the onside kick happened. And I, I wasn't really paying attention. I was doing something else, and I looked up and said, "Why does Northwestern have the ball?" And Angie said, "Because we tried an onside kick and didn't get it." I'm thinking, why? At that point in the game, you just scored to go up two scores, kick that thing deep. So that say? was the moment that I knew it. And to Angie's credit, she knew too. She said, that's just the dumbest thing I've seen from Scott Frost in a while. That's going to come back to haunt us. And guess what happened? It came back to haunt them. 
And I was, I was watching this thinking, man, there, there is great reason for optimism on that opening possession and how the first half was going. Um, they came out in what was scripted but looked very good. Uh, even the, the transfers that had come in, they were getting the football. Uh, you've got the uh, Thompson delivering it on point. Great touch on the touchdown pass. Great throw and catch. Um, I mean, it's Pitt's offense. Whipple was doing... Yeah, that's what you were pointing well, out. At the, yeah, was, I, I thought, and their biggest play of the game was a bit of a fluke. You know, Casey Thompson scrambles for six seconds, avoids a sure sack, and then rolls left and just f- finds a guy in a scramble drill for a huge play. But that's a great I- improvised play by the quarterback. They've got really good skill players. I think Thompson's mm-hmm. going to be good. Trey Palmer from LSU is going to be really good. they got an Arizona State transfer who's also solid. I think offensively, skill position-wise, they're, they're fine. They're not very good at running back. They didn't rush the ball very well in this game, which is kind of odd to me at Nebraska, but whatever. Uh, defensively, guys, that's where, that's where I was very disappointed in Nebraska in this game because Northwestern does not have a good offense. They did well, but when you rush for – the one that, that jumps out to me is giving up 220 yards on the ground to a team with a quarterback who cannot run. It's one thing when you've got the quarterback run option in your offense. You're going to give up rushing yards that way. But you know when they're running it, they're handing it to one of their running backs. Yeah. And the fact that they – and the way they just ate up clock late in the fourth quarter with the lead, just handing it off and running it over and over again, that's very disconcerting. So speaking of offense, Vanderbilt showed some offense wow. Saturday night in Hawaii. 63-10, the final score – uh, I'll get to Hawaii in a, in a moment here because that certainly played a massive factor in everything. But uh, props to Mike Wright and uh, the, the offense for showing up. It was a slugger, a slugfest at, at the beginning of this where Hawaii comes down. They get the early 7-0 lead. Um, Vanderbilt's able to answer offensively, and then Anthony Orgy recovers a fumble for a touchdown. Uh, and and scores uh, on defense to go up 14-7, and then the onslaught happened. Um, C.J. Taylor had a fumble recovery uh, and ran it in for a score, and then you had Mike Wright just go off. And I'm thinking third quarter, whenever it's like 50, it was like 51 or 52 to 10, I'm thinking maybe this is where they're going to put some backup quarterbacks in, and they, they ran him back out there again. And I don't blame uh, I don't I don't blame uh, Clark Lee or or anyone that that was behind discussing what to do with the quarterback spot there because this is a big bounce uh, they're able to hopefully bounce off of this with some momentum going into their second win against Elon and the over under in, in, in Vegas right now is two and a half I mean when we talk about success at Vanderbilt this is uh, incremental success going on the road and beating Hawaii but this. They looked like a completely different team than a year ago. And, and that is a great sign for a program that is desperate for any ounce of positive energy right now. Um, I, I was wrong about Mike Wright. He was the perfect guy to start in week one because he ran up and down the field against Hawaii. Uh, he had an extra jet of speed down the left sideline for a touchdown that was very impressive on a long run. Um, and then delivered the football um, with some, some great poise and strikes against that Hawaii defense. But this is a Hawaii team that is awful. Awful. Uh, I, I, you know, we always joke that we start everything with, well, the obvious is if they stay healthy with a team. When we discuss this game, let's start with the obvious, that Hawaii is terrible. Far worse than I think any of us expected because the name Hawaii 
at least carry some offensive cachet in most seasons. Uh, I didn't realize they lost 51 players from last year's team. That is insane. So Todd Graham is basically a mutiny on campus, and the program just they, they defected. Everyone left, and they were left with scraps, and that's what Timmy Chang inherited in year one. They are essentially a team coming off the death penalty. They're that bad. They're bad than most FCS teams. Now, having said that, Vandy did exactly what decent teams, decent to good teams would do to a team like Hawaii in that setup. That is a great step forward for Vanderbilt. Mike Wright had 146 passing yards and 163 rushing yards. I have been screaming from a mountaintop for years that Vandy needs to run the triple option. They need to run a military academy offense in order to have success. Guess what they did on Saturday night? Go watch that offense. It is just a shotgun triple option for the most part. Every single play, there is a jet sweep or a fake jet sweep. There are guys in motion. There are multiple options of running the ball in every play or dropping back to pass for Mike Wright. This is the offense Vandy must run to have success. Continue doing this, guys. Not only do I feel like it's easy money if you bet over two and a half on the over-under for win-losses, I think they break the streak in the SEC this season. I think they're going to get someone at some point if they continue with this philosophy of running the quarterback and they're able to keep Mike Wright healthy. I think it's hard to take anything from that as bad as Hawaii was and translate it into a SEC game. But had to, had to feel cathartic for them to, to do that. On the one Mike Wright, the long run, there was a wide receiver block that was uh, enormous, that, that was uh, the kind of thing a team will rally around and go crazy about. And, you know, I felt terrific for them that, uh, that, that they not only won, not only won big, but won giant, um, you know, and to cap off a trip like that where you're spending a week over there and, and doing the whole, um, you know, giant trip, taking so many people over there and getting a result like that, certainly something to, to build on. Um, and it should carry over to Elon. I, I don't know about Northern Illinois. Um, and so, to me, that's the game that determines the, the two and a half. I just don't get the fear of that. Every It's amazing to me how many Vanderbilt fans would interact with me on Twitter. And even after watching that game, again, I get that it's Hawaii, but it's 63-10. to 10. They put up 601 yards of offense. They would have wow. not have done that a year ago. They, oh, have, no. they have taken... Uh, they have step. taken a step forward. Now, I'm not saying that's going to lead to a bowl trip this year, but I think you can get them four wins. I think it'll keep them competitive, at the very least, at Northern Illinois. I think it gives them a chance to beat Wake Forest if Sam Hartman is still out with whatever illness or injury he's dealing with right now. I, I, I do think that the expectation level should rise just a tick. And what I mean by that is, Vandy fans should expect to get someone in the SEC this year. I don't know if it's South Carolina at home. I don't know if it's Missouri. They, they need to get someone. They almost did it last year against South Carolina. They played a very uninspired Ole Miss team in November and were within one score late and lost by two scores, I think. But I think that streak could come to an end this season. And there's reason for a little bit more hope at Vanderbilt in what was, let's face it, a hopeless offseason based on what they did a year ago.
I, I'm, I'm still right on the fence of the two and a half, even with what we saw. 51 players the, left, like you said. The team they beat was the, a zero. The other key here for them to – I mean, I, you can't get away with throwing for 150 yards in the SEC and at quarterback and expect to win the game. Uh, you can do that if you're going to get two turnovers for touchdowns defensively. Is, there, is the SEC school going to allow that? Um, th- that's how Vanderbilt can stay in the game if their defensive players are going to step up in big moments and break a game open the way Orgy and, and, and Taylor did. If they're going to get that, then I think we're talking about like a four-win season and they can, they can pick someone off in, in the SEC. But, I mean, I, for the announce team um, on CBS Sports Network to say, like, Vanderbilt is just far superior athletically right now. Like, the, their athleticism showing out, and I'm thinking, man, you... For them to acknowledge that, that's how bad Hawaii is. Yeah. Like, you will not hear that when they play Northern Illinois. They're, the Hawaii fumbles, it was very odd, the two fumbles that just went right. It looked like an interception. It was hit, and it went right to the defender in full stride going into the end zone, C.J. Taylor and Anthony Orgy on both those plays. But, Chad, but when they got hit and, and fumbled the ball on those two, guys, it looked like a college player hitting a high school player. It looked like the guy didn't have any choice but to fumble because he got hit so hard by someone much bigger and stronger and just coughed it up immediately. You're always looking for uh, the positive energy. That's, that's what uh, Clark Lee preaches, right? The, the positive energy here off that game that you can carry over, aside from, I mean, they beat who they needed to beat. They didn't really know what Hawaii was going to do. There were a lot of unknowns. We went through the depth chart last week. There were a lot of players listed on the first team. They have 20 players listed on the first team defense. So you didn't know what it was going to look like. But I know what that sideline looked like when they lost to ETSU last year. And so does Clark Lee. When they got down seven points, he's looking on the sideline the third quarter going, oh, this is, this is awful. They are not in it mentally. They're done. And when Hawaii goes down and scores, and it was a back-and-forth slot fest in the first quarter, and you're thinking, man, this is, <laughs> this is it's going to be a grinded-out game. And then it broke open. I think there's, a, there's some positive energy that they can use off of that on how they just stuck with their game plan and rebounded off of what was something they didn't really know what Hawaii was going to do, right? So they, they, they treated Hawaii like Hawaii. They, they should treat Elon that same way. And then they're off and rolling on what was a, a, all they could do is go 2-0 and in this start, and they should do that. But this is, uh, this is the challenge, though, because even when you win big, you're going to have the, the second guessing about where the program really is. And I, I still maintain like they're, they're going to have to do more offensively than just throw for 150 yards and expect to win. They have to have explosive plays. That, now, they can also, if they run for 400 yards a game, They'll be all right. they can control the clock. But it, keep in mind, too, like they ran for 400, 400 yards as a team. And they came out in the second half, ran three straight plays for double digits on the ground, scored in less than a minute. That's you're not doing that down the schedule in the SEC. No. So that's where the four wins and picking off a team in the SEC would be a gigantic move up the ladder for them if they can do it. Well, they're going to win two. You know, they're going to have a win over Elon upcoming up this up upcoming Saturday. Um, then they get the Northern Illinois game is we're not going to know anything until then, right? right. We're going to really know okay how much is this team improved against a viable opponent like that, and then we're going to know a little bit more. When they play Wake Forest at home, I think Wake Forest may actually be next, then Northern Illinois. 
That's where we're really going to start to learn more about this team. I just saw something from their offensive mindset that tells me that if they catch one of these lower-rung teams on the right Saturday, they could win. They should have beat South Carolina a year ago, and that yeah. team was awful. Yeah. So it can happen this year where they end the streak. I'm not saying they're going to be competitive week in, week out in the SEC. They won't. They're going to have Saturdays where they get completely run in games. But I, I saw at least a glimmer of hope in that game. Now, one negative, I have no clue what Clark Lee's doing clock management-wise into that first half. That was a very, very loser-like mentality at Hawaii where you should be destroying them at halftime. It's 21-10, to 10, and he just takes his foot off the gas when they're, t- they're not stopping them and just basically plays the half out and lets the clock run down in the end. That was very weird clock management where I thought a chance – they had a chance to put it away at halftime. 28-10, it's over. 21-10, to 10, there's a little bit of life. And, and then they the quickly stuffed is, it out in the second half. But yeah. the good news is Hawaii was just terrible. They've been part of so many games Vanderbilt has where the broadcasters are looking for something to talk about in the fourth quarter. There was such an extensive conversation about the food tents on the sidelines of whatever the setup Hawaii has there that's temporary. Um, and for once, it was because Vanderbilt was was laying somebody out instead of getting laid out. That broadcast team, not great. That was rough. That, I'm talking about the production crew, the camera angles, everything about it on CBS Sports Network. I joked that Vandy has set an all-time record for SEC teams to appear on CBS Sports Network. Yeah over the years because they always play one game against a Mountain West opponent. I think they played UNLV one year maybe on on that network also. Well, the camera angle was, was weird. The field looked narrow. Well, they had a different pronunciation on a few names every time they said it. Uh, ben, ben Bresnahan, who was the tight end, you could tell – I think it's Aaron Taylor was the color guy. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think yeah, you're right. He got to that name, and it's like he was rehearsing it all day before the game started, and he still could not get. He said, "Ben Bresnahan," <laughs> he kind of said it like real fast, like he knew he was going to screw it up and didn't know how to say it. And all the different pronunciations of Hawaii, how they would go to everyone, and they were making a point to say, "And Hawaii first down." I found it comical. It was comically bad, the production of that game. Best thing of the college football weekend for me was UNLV. You mentioned UNLV. The slot machine turnover uh, gimmick is awesome. Hits every it's, time. It is perfect. Uh, where you get the triple seven and you go over and you spin it and it's going to hit jackpot every time, every time you get a turnover. Love it. it it's perfectly placed. Haynes King named the A&M starter over Max Johnson. So we'll see Haynes King run it back after playing the first two games last year, getting hurt. He is back as the starting quarterback for the Aggies. And Michigan's plan at quarterback is interesting through uh, Harbaugh. They're going to start Cade McNamara against Colorado State this weekend. And then they will play J.J. McCarthy as the starting quarterback against Hawaii. And week three is when Harbaugh says they will make a determination on who the starter will be. So each get a tryout against uh, uh, teams that are far less. Colorado State's horrible. Are they as bad as Hawaii? They're awful. <laughs> they're real bad. They're so, they're better because we know McCarthy's going to have a very easy time against Hawaii based on what we just saw. Yeah. So you've, you know, after week two they're going to make their starting quarterback decision. Um, but that, that's an interesting way to go about the season, to announce it a week prior that each week each guy knows who's. Uh, uh, he didn't say if he's going to play both. He just in each game he just said 
the guy was going to start. Yeah, I, I don't I don't love it because I think it sends a weird signal when you're not just naming a starter and you're saying we're going to continue this thing out and flip-flop the games. But when you've got games like that, it makes sense to let them and, each get a full game in and then continue to evaluate. And he, he released like a, a very lengthy statement about the decision and signed it, you know, Harbaugh or whatever. But it just says both quarterbacks have played great this offseason in the, in the battle. Um, our decision is we're going to start this guy here, this guy there, and we will make a determining decision uh, on the full season starter going into week three. And he said that uh, in the statement, he was like, both guys could win a championship for us here. That's what, how good they've been. What's crazy is that Cade McNamara has won a championship there and does not get the benefit of the doubt to come back as the starter, as the incumbent. I mean, he beat Ohio State, and Michigan won the yeah. Big Ten a year ago and played in the playoff, and the guy may lose his job. That's, a, that's also a testament to McCarthy and how good he could be for Michigan. Coming up uh, from starter to former closer, Chapman, and the injury or... Ailment. Yeah, ailment. There you go. Based on something he's done off the diamond that's keeping him in the dugout. That's next to now Kick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Araldus Chapman. Has an infection due to a tattoo that he uh, received on his calf, and he's unable to take the mound for the New York Yankees. Paul, your thoughts? Well, I don't want him on the mound for the New York Yankees right now because the guy's a mess. So if he gets an infected tattoo and it costs him time, uh, I'm okay with it. It's not smart. His defense is that he's gotten in-season tattoos before without incident. This one is, I believe, of his sister. Yes, it's a, it's his sister. It's the face of his sister on his calf. Um, this is insane. He is the second highest paid player on the New York Yankees, and he's getting a tattoo on his calf in season. Like he should be, he should have to pay back money. I agree. I mean, that should be in your clause that if you do something to your body, like get a tattoo in season, and you're forced to miss time, you forfeit money. I don't know why you're not more pissed off about this. This is I don't want insane. him pitching. Here's also the problem with the Yankees. Aaron Boone sounds like a legit moron. When he comes off that series where they played a team 23 games under 500 in the Oakland A's, and they score, what, three runs over two days? And they split a four-game series with the A's? And he goes to the podium and says, you know, we actually hit the ball really well in these last two games. <laughs> I'm reading a story at The Athletic that then says, no, actually you didn't. They actually track balls that are hit hard, and the A's hit more balls hard than you did. So it's not like you were hitting lasers that were being caught over two days. They did you not you hit, did not hit. They did not hit the ball the last two days. But if, if Araldus Chapman was in the game, the A's would have hit more balls hard. This is good that Chapman gets shelved. He had nine good outings. He was a disaster. He had nine good outings. Then he had two horrific outings again. 
we turn back into a guy you just can't count on because he doesn't have it mentally. And when he doesn't have it mentally, he is really, he doesn't like go a little bit south, Hutton. He goes like completely in the tank. And when he's completely in the tank, you can't put him in a game unless you're winning by 10. Well, and they're not winning by 10 very often right now. Aaron Boone, though, uh, his, his reaction to Chapman, um, he, he was like, I don't have tattoos. It's a personal choice. I'm thinking, it's a personal choice, but he made the personal choice to do this during the season and suffers the consequences for doing it during the season. And apparently he does it like every year. This, this is the first one that got infected. Like this stuff that yeah. he, I'm sure for whatever rare. reason, he decides to get it done in season. I think guys are probably getting tattoos in their seasons all all the time. I don't know anything about it because I'm not a tattoo guy, but I cover a team full of guys with tattoos, and I watch a league full of guys with tattoos. I can't imagine everybody's waiting until out of their season to get tattoos, generally speaking. They need to. They should. But here's my thing. If you get the tattoo and we don't know about it and nothing happens, fine. But when you do that and you take that risk oh, you and you get infected, to get... you should forfeit your pay. No, I agree. 100% give the money back. Dude, he should forfeit his pay based on his performance well before he got an infected tattoo. He's Coming up mess. in hour number two, we will talk about the key quarterback performances and big releases, including Matt Ariza by Buffalo. And we will dive into uh, injury in the backfield for the Steelers. That's all next on OutKick 360.